take your copy of God's Word this morning, please, and be turning to the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter, John chapter 4. It's been called the missing crown jewel in evangelical Christianity. It's been called the most important and highest activity that a company of God's people could engage in. It's been called the key to experiencing God in our lives. And how about this? It's been called the most momentous, the most urgent, and the most glorious action that can take place in the human life. Now, I don't know about you, but those are some pretty tall words. What other word am I talking about? I'm talking about worship. Worship. But how many of us would describe our worship in the words that I just used? The most momentous, most urgent, and most glorious action in our lives. I'm afraid a lot of us might use words other than those to describe our worship. Maybe the exact opposite. We might say it's the most boring, most tedious, most underwhelming action in our lives. And beloved, these things ought not to be. Worship, true worship, is anything, anything but boring. But the problem, you see, lies not with God. The problem lies with us. We don't worship aright because we don't know God as we ought to know Him. Because if we knew God for who He is and as He is, it would revolutionize our worship. There's an old story about a man uh, who, who dreamed that an angel escorted him uh, to church one Sunday. And he was there at church and he saw the keyboard musician playing vigorously and the praise team was up. They were singing and the musicians, they were playing their instruments with gusto. But the man was there in the church and all that's going on, but he heard no sound. The congregation was singing, but the sound was utterly muted. When the minister rose to speak, his lips moved, but there was no volume. Now you can imagine if that were you and you're looking at this and in utter amazement, the man turned to the angel for an explanation and the angel said, well, this is the way it sounds to us in heaven. This is the way it sounds to us in heaven. You hear nothing because there's nothing to hear. The people are engaged in a form of worship, but their thoughts are on other things and their hearts are far away. Now, beloved, that's just a story, but it summarized, I think, a lot of worship services. Now, let's just be real honest about it today. Let's kind of quiz ourselves. Let's test ourselves today. Where has your mind been so far in this service? Now, we call this what? A worship service. You have a bulletin in front of you and listed in the bulletin right there in the main part is an order of worship. We sang the great hymn to begin the service. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And yet, how many of us really thought about God and how glorious He is and how holy He is and how wonderful He is? We joined together and we sang, Bless the Lord, O my soul. We have 10,000 reason, uh, 10, years and, and 10 million reasons why we should sing and praise Him. And yet, how many of us thought about some of those reasons? We put money in the offering plate today, but did we think about God and the fact that God is the one that gave us the money and God gave us the ability to earn the money and 
We think about what God can do with that money for His glory. We, we pray together. But were our minds upon the Lord and communing with Him and talking with Him? Could it be that our worship is subpar, that our worship is what it is because we're not really worshiping? Uh, we're focused upon other things. We're thinking about a thousand other things. We're not focused upon the Lord and His greatness. We're not thinking about God, and yet we say things like, well, worship is boring, you know. R.C. Sproul, who's in heaven now, he wrote about worship in the Bible, and he said that when someone in the Bible encountered the Holy God, their experience was almost uniform. To a person, they stood quaking in terror, trembling before the Most, Holy, uh, Most High God. They were frightened, they were humbled, but they were certainly never bored. They were never bored when someone encountered God in the Bible. And he said, how is it possible then that people say church is boring? Uh, old Vance Havner, uh, he was right. You know, he had a way with words. He was right when he said that too many churches, uh, church services, uh, they start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. <laughs> too many services are like that. Why? Because we're not really fully engaged in worshiping God. We're doing everything else. We're doing all kinds of things. We're going through motions and forms and what we've always done, but we're really not lifting our hearts in worship all the time. And you know, we're talking about some of the great ships in our life and we've covered fellowship and we've covered discipleship and now we come to worship. And I've got to be honest with you, this one is intimidating. Uh, how do I cover such a grand subject such a glorious subject in such a short amount of time. I feel like the farmer who had 500 acres of cotton to harvest, and yet the poor fellow only had enough fuel to pick one row, and it's getting dark, and his headlights don't work. In other words, he was limited in every way. That's the way I kind of feel this morning, as I want to approach the subject of worship. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick that row together today, okay? We're going to pick it. We're going to make a dent in it. And hopefully at the end, we're all going to be better worshiper, worshipers. Now, I think the best place to start is here in John chapter 4. And to look at what Jesus said about worship. Now, John chapter 4, you remember, uh, it has the story about Jesus and the Samaritan woman. It's an awesome story, a glorious story of how He offered her the living water and He confronted her about her sin and her need uh, of the living water, the Lord Jesus Himself. And the interesting thing is, in the discussion itself, they talked about worship. And Jesus had some things to say about worship. And I want you to consider them with me today as we look at what Jesus said about worship. So we have the Samaritan woman, and Jesus has just confronted her about her sin. Uh, if you look at John chapter 4, and he goes and tells her in verse 16, go call your husband and come here. And verse 17, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, you ha I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. And then she opens up the subject of worship. And we'll pick up the reading there at verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She realized he couldn't have known all that about her if it wasn't something different about this fellow. And then verse 20, here's what she says. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. 
Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is of the Jews. It comes by means of the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. The Scriptures come by the Jews. Verse 23. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Did you notice when Jesus talked about worship, what He said at the end of verse 23? I found it phenomenal. It says at the end of verse 23, For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is looking for true worshipers. Can I just tell you that that's the reason we exist? We exist, beloved, to worship God. That's why we're here. We exist to worship God. The old confession says it this way, what is the chief end or chief goal of man? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why we're here, to bring glory and honor and praise and worship to God. The Scripture says, let me give you some references. You can jot these down as I read them. 1 Corinthians 10.31 You've heard me say it many times. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. How important is worship? 1 Chronicles 16.29 says, Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 29.2, given to the Lord the glory due to His name, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 95.6, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Psalm 96, verse 9, O worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Worship is due to Him. He's beautiful. He's glorious. He's God alone. But it brings up a question that's very important. Over and over again, the Scripture says, worship the Lord and worship the Lord and worship the Lord. But it begs the question, what exactly is worship? How do you define that term, worship? What is worship? Now, beloved, I won't bore you with the details, but Barna Research found out that the term worship means many things to many people. Now, we knew that already. But they went on to say, there's no single interpretation of the word that is common to more than one out of five adults in this country. Now think about that. Ask five adults in this country and you're going to get different answers. We get our word worship. It is uh, from the old English word worship. Worship. It means to ascribe worth to something. Uh, in other words, when we worship God, we're proclaiming that He's worthy of our praise, our adoration, our awe, our wonder, our praises. Defining worship, I guess the best thing to do would be to go and look at the words in the Bible for the word worship, the biblical words that make up our English word worship. And instead of doing all that together, let me just allow Warren Wiersbe to summarize what you'll find. He says, when we consider all the words used for worship 
in both the Old and New Testaments. And we put their meanings together. So you take all the different Hebrew words and Greek words, and you, put, you take them and consider them all, put them together. We find that worship involves at least two things. It involves attitudes and actions. Attitudes, awe, reverence, respect. The attitude of our heart, the attitude of our life is part of worship. And then there are actions involved. Bowing and praising and serving. He says it's both a subjective experience and and an objective activity. And it involves the mind and the emotions and the will. And he gave this definition based upon the biblical words. I'll share it with you. Worship is the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will, and body, to what God is and says and does. If I could simplify it, because I like to simplify it so I can get a hold of it, It's all that we are responding to all that He is. That's worship. All that we are. It involves mind and emotions and will, actions, our bodies, responding to all that God is. All that He is, all that He says, all that He does. Now, I need you to point out something very important, especially in today's world. And that is this, worship is more than music. Worship is more than music. We often talk about services like this. We talk about, oh, the worship was really good today. And what we mean is we like the music. That's what we mean. Or we're going to have the worship leader, and the worship leader is going to come and lead us in worship. That means they're going to lead us in singing. Let me just say, music is worship. Or at least it should be. Sometimes it can be a show. It can be a human display. But music is part of worship, but so is everything else. So today we've had a worship service and music is worship, yes, but giving is worship, praying is worship, and preaching is worship. It's all worship. And worship is to be a way of life. It's not just, okay, we're going to go on Sunday morning and worship the Lord. Yes, we are. Praise the Lord you did today. That's corporate worship. We're gathering together. But worship is a way of life. There's to be personal worship. There's to be family worship. Let me give you another simple definition I ran across. Worship is honor and adoration directed toward God. That's pretty easy to get a hold of it then. Worship is honor and adoration directed toward God. So I don't have to be in church to worship. I've worshipped many a morning walking down the road here. Directing honor and adoration to God. So we understand, beloved, what worship is. But let's look a little bit more at what Jesus said about it. So if it's all that we are responding to all that God is, if it's honor and adoration directed toward God, if it involves all that we are To all that He is, we've got to look a little more particular here. Because God says, I want true worshipers. And so notice, first of all, when we look at Jesus' words in John 4, notice this truth. Not all worship is true worship. Not all worship is true worship. Look at verse 22 again. He says to the Samaritan woman, you worship what you do not know. 
We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Now, not all worship is true worship. Some worship a false god. Uh, that god, that false god, that idol might be made of iron or gold or silver. It might be the worship of a person or a position or a possession. Idolatry, you know, comes in all shapes and all sizes. And so it's interesting to note that everyone worships something. You ever thought about that? You can go on an exploration and you can go on a, a safari and you might go into the deepest, darkest jungle somewhere and come upon a group of people that are unlike anything you've ever seen in your life. And the truth of the matter is they're so cut off from society, they've never seen anything like you either. And you both stand there wide-eyed, gawking at one another. In your mind, you're thinking, I hope they don't kill and eat me. In their mind, they're wondering, what in the world is that? I've never seen anything like that. But the reality is, if you were to spend any amount of time with that tribe in the deep, deepest, darkest part of the jungle, it wouldn't be long before you find out something about that tribe. They worship something or something. Why? Because we're made to worship. We're made to worship. But not all worship is true worship. It's not enough that just someone's sincere in their worship. Oh, they're so sincere in their worship. But they might be sincerely wrong. Because listen, beloved, any worship, adoration, praise given to anyone or anything other than the God of the Bible, it is wrong. And it is not true worship. It's false. It's idolatry. It's evil in the sight of God. It's an abomination because thou should have no other gods before me. Don't make any carbon images. Don't do anything. I am God alone. God is to be worshipped alone. And so we understand right away from Jesus' word that not all worship is true worship. And then we notice another lesson from his words. And that is a very important lesson. Worship is not about a certain place. It's about a person. You see, in verse 20 of our text, did you notice that the Samaritan woman brings up the idea, where should we be when we worship? Notice what she says in verse 20. Our fathers, talking about the Samaritans, worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And so she wants Jesus to kind of give her his insight as to whether they should worship on Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem. You see, the Samaritans, as I've studied this out, uh, they only recognize the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And um, they noted that the first place where Abraham built an altar to God was at Shechem in Genesis 12, which was overlooked by Mount Gerizim, where the Israelites had shouted the blessing promised by God before they entered the Promised Land. And so, as I studied this out, I found that as a result, they chose Mount Gerizim as their place of worship. And so, she was focusing on the place. Is it Mount Gerizim? Or is it Jerusalem? But her focus was wrong. It was not about a certain place as much as it was about a person. Jesus gives her a very interesting answer in verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. 
Now we know that worship was established there in Jerusalem and the temple and so forth. So what does Jesus mean that there's not going to be any worship even in Jerusalem? Well, when is the hour he's talking about? An hour is coming, he says. Well, beloved, it was the hour of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, worship was no longer going to be centered in a certain place. You wouldn't have to go to Jerusalem to worship and take your sacrifice. No. You'd be able to worship anywhere and everywhere at any time. Why? Because we are now the temple. We don't have to go to the temple. If you're a child of God, you are a temple. You say, preacher, what were you talking about? Jot this reference down. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You see... The moment that you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within you. And you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you now can worship God anywhere, anytime, anyplace. Aren't you glad we don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship? It would be a long trip, wouldn't it? You don't even have to go to Red Hill to worship. I hope you will. But you can worship from a sickbed. You can worship in your car. You can worship at work. You can worship at school. It's not about a place now, beloved. It's about a person. Jesus said, worship the Father in verse 21. He says it again in verse 23. We can worship the Lord anywhere and anytime. Oh, there's so much more. We've got to hurry. Notice another lesson from Jesus here. Very important lesson. And that is God is Spirit. God is spirit and he must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Now, this is something that Jesus emphasized twice. If Jesus says something once, you better listen. If he says it twice, you better really tune in. Look at verses 23 and 24 again. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. How are we supposed to worship? In spirit and truth. Now, I can tell you a lot of ink has been spilled in writing on that uh, phrase, in spirit and in truth. But it seems pretty straightforward. Let's walk through it together. First of all, we're to worship in spirit. Uh, this is referring to our human spirit. Um, we might say it this way. Our worship is to be from the heart from the inner person. It involves the mind and the emotions. We talked about it involves all that we are. And, and, and we're to worship from the heart, in spirit. Our worship is not just to be forms and ceremonies and motions we go through. Saying things we don't mean, doing things we don't understand, doing rituals over and over and over again. There are some poor folks today that are in uh, worship facilities, if you will. And they're doing things today. They're going through rituals. And, all that and the truth of the matter is, a lot of them don't even know what they're doing. They don't know what it means. They don't have any idea what they're doing. It's just what they've been taught to do. It's just the, the motions they go through. And they think, well, this is true worship. But the Bible says we're to worship in spirit from the heart, from the inside. It's real. We mean it. We understand it. We know what we're doing. We're doing it because we love God. And we're to worship Him in spirit. 
Now, of course, it does involve the Holy Spirit. But the idea here is the human spirit. It's from our heart. It's real. It's true. And then it says we're to worship not only in spirit, but in truth. What does that mean? Well, first of all, we're to worship, of course, through the one who is truth. The Lord Jesus Christ. John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Did you notice what he said to the Samaritan woman here? The Samaritan woman said in verse 25 of John 4, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. I'd love to have been a fly on the well that day, wouldn't you? Just to have heard that, to have seen that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we're going to be worshiping. We're going to have to worship through truth. We're going to have to know the Lord Jesus, the one who is true. Can I just tell you something important today? Jesus didn't, get, Jesus didn't come to just save us from hell. He came to make worshipers out of us. Now, thank God, when we trust the Lord Jesus, He saves us from hell. We're not going there. And that's a wonderful benefit, a wonderful blessing. But he didn't just come to give you a get-out-of-hell-free card like it's a big Monopoly game. He came to make a worshiper out of you. He came to make a worshiper out of me. You see, we cannot become a true worshiper until we've come by the way of truth, the one who is truth, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the Bible says that if we'll turn from our sins and place our faith in Christ alone, He'll save us, forgive us. Yes, He'll give us a home from heaven. He'll deliver us from hell, but He'll also put us in a right relationship so that we truly can be a true worshiper of God. If you don't know Him today... Place your faith in Christ alone. Well, we're to worship in truth. What else does that mean? Well, it means according to the truth. It means according to the revelation of God that He's made Himself in the Bible. You see, we don't make up all this stuff that we do in worship. We're to take the revelation of God Himself, the truth. Thy word is truth. The word of God is truth. Do you ever doubt whether or not I believe it, every word of it? I believe it from cover to cover. I even believe the cover where it says Holy Bible. This is the authoritative, inerrant, infallible Word of God. It will stand forever. And we're to find out as we study the Word who God is and what God's like and what He wants us to do. And we've been told over and over again what worship and bow down. We don't make up stuff and just say, you know what, what, what should we do? No, we discover in God's Word things about the Lord, who He is, and how we should respond by looking at this book and then doing it. You see, right here we learn that He is Spirit. Isn't that what He said to the Spirit? God is Spirit. Well, that means that He's not like us then. He's not a man like us. Um, he does not have a body like we have. God is everywhere present, so I can worship Him anywhere and everywhere. Now, God, the Son, God, the Lord Jesus, He took upon Himself a body. We know that. 
I hope you're seeing what, what I'm saying here is that our worship should be informed by the truth. Theology matters. Doctrine matters. Why do people go so crazy in worship and do such foolish things at times? Because they're not going by truth. If we're going to be true worshipers of God, we've got to worship God from the heart and according to the truth. And can I just tell you something else? Now, this is not fun. Part of worshiping God in truth is obeying the truth. So when God tells us what to do and we obey, that's a form of worship. It's acknowledging Him. Beloved, can I just tell you today that God is worthy of our praise and our adoration and our honor and our worship. And that is true at all times no matter what's going on in our life. I love the way the Lord orchestrates things. I didn't study Sunday school. I was with the teens this morning. I didn't study Sunday school until after this message was long done. And I was getting ready last night for teen class. And I opened up and started reading about Job. And I hope that you caught this when you studied it this morning. But after Job loses all those things, his possessions, his livestock, and his kids, it says he tore his robe. If I remember correctly, it says he shaved his head. Did you notice what else it said? It said he worshipped. He worshipped. And then it goes on to say, I think in the very next verse, that he didn't curse God. He blessed the name of God. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Because often we think, well, I'm going to worship the Lord. I'll worship the Lord. Everything's doing great. Everything's doing wonderful. Beloved, God's goodness is not based upon my circumstances. Not based upon what goes on in my life. God is worthy of worship no matter what else is going on. He's always good. He's always glorious. He's always beautiful. And He's always worthy of my praise and my worship. And I stand amazed. I read that last night and I was just taken back. It said He bowed His head and He worshipped. He worshipped. So, yes, emotion's part of it. But it's not all of it. I'm supposed to worship whether I feel like it or not. And the glorious thing I found is when I start worshiping, even when I don't feel like it, my feelings change pretty quickly. I want to close with a powerful example of worship. Job is a powerful example. But let me bring forward someone even in more recent days, but yet still antiquated to us, the year was 1636. I don't think anybody here <clears throat> was around back in those days. You might be glad that you weren't because in 1636, the Black Death or Bubonic Plague was sweeping Europe once again. Boy, that, that title, those names alone, is just enough to make the chills run up your back. Isn't it? Black Death or Bubonic Plague. Pastor Martin Rinker. Beloved, that year buried 5,000 parishioners. It averaged out 15 a day. 
I try to think about that as a pastor. I've done a lot of funerals in my years in the ministry. I'm trying to figure out and fathom burying 15 people a day or 5,000 parishioners. And beloved, I understand that as he heard the cries of the bereaved and the dying outside his window, he wrote these words. Now think we all are God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things has done in whom his world rejoices who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Fifteen funerals a day. He wrote these words. It goes on. Oh, may this bounteous God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and bless peace to cheer us, to keep us in His grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all ills of this world and the next. If you remember the song, we often sing it at Thanksgiving time. It goes on to say, All praise and thanks to God, the Father now be given, the Son and Spirit blessed who reigns in highest heaven, the one eternal God whom heaven and earth adore. For thus it was, is now, and shall be evermore. And the one that I was reading that was relating that story to me said these words, now that's worship. That's the kind of worshiper that God seeks. One who worships in spirit, the focus is wholly upon God. Think about it. 5,000 people he's burying, but his focus is on God. You're the bounteous God. You're the glorious God. Thanksgiving belongs to you. He worshipped in spirit. And he worshipped in truth. And he worshipped in a dark day. And it was real. It was real. And beloved, that's what the psalmist, we need to do what the psalmist tells us to do today. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth because He alone is worthy of worship. Father, we bow in Your holy presence to exalt You and magnify You and make You known. We glorify Your name in this place. Father, if there's anyone here who is not a true worshiper, I pray, Lord, that during this invitation time, Your Holy Spirit would touch their heart, convict them, and bring them to saving faith in Christ. And then, Lord, I pray that those of us who do know You through the truth, the Lord Jesus, that we would really really worship You in spirit and in truth. Bless this invitation, I pray. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I couldn't think of a more appropriate hymn to close out today than number three. Worthy of worship. Worthy of praise. And beloved, the altar is open to you to be saved today. I'd love to pray with you. If you want to come and pray about something, I'd love to do that with you. The altar is open. Number three, we shall be saved. Worthy of worship. Worthy of praise. Let's stand together.